0: My major pain has has been invisible.
1: The mobility aid makes it better. It gives
2: me freedom. It can get to the core beliefs we have about ourselves. Don't ever think you're alone.
0: Welcome to Major Pain. I'm your host, Jesse Mercury, and this week we have a very different type of episode for you. So uh, let me set up for you how this came about, and then I'll tell you what it is that we're doing today. So, for many years now, I have done freelance audio production work. Uh, You know, for years before I started podcasting, I had a ton of experience doing recording, mixing, and mastering. And my longest client, my longest-term client that I've been doing uh, mastering work for is my good friend Steve, who I've known since college, uh, at least 15 years at this point. And Steve is a hip-hop producer, so I mean, you know, back when I used to have a recording studio in San Diego, we would stay up late drinking bottles of Rex Goliath and working on hip-hop tracks together. Steve is a great producer, and he's also a great friend, and, you know, we've been working together for a really long time. And earlier this year, he approached me with a completely different type of project than I had ever worked on before, where he had actually put together with his wife, Melissa, a set of four tracks that were basically morning affirmations, positive affirmations, to help someone start the day. At first, I was very surprised, Uh, not just because they were really great, I mean, I really loved working on them, they sounded amazing, Um, super cool thing that they had created, but I was also just really surprised because this was not the type of work that Steve had ever created before, uh, and I was really impressed by it. So, we got to talking about, you know, why did you create these tracks? And the story behind it was pretty awesome. So, Steve and Melissa are parents to two children, and as of very recently, both of their children have been diagnosed as being on the autism spectrum. Their firstborn son was actually diagnosed very young, and their second son was just recently diagnosed as well. Melissa is a big fan of daily affirmations, and she wanted to find some affirmations to share with her children, but couldn't find anything that really fit what she was thinking of. So, she talked to Steve, and they ended up producing four tracks together of daily affirmations for their autistic children. I feel like these four tracks are really special, and I feel like the story behind them is really special as well. So I thought it could be a really cool episode of the podcast to sit down with Steve and Melissa and talk through the history of raising their children so far and what brought about this creative project between the two of them. So I approached Steve about doing it, and at first he had a lot of reservations, and we'll talk about that during the episode today, but we eventually did decide to move forward, record this episode, and that's what I have for you today. Very different than what we normally do on the show, but a really special episode that I'm very excited to share. And as a special treat during this episode, we will share all four of these morning affirmations tracks with you. These four tracks are now available on all major streaming platforms. Spotify, Apple Music, Bandcamp, under the name The Affirmations Collective. And there are links in the show notes for this episode. During this episode, Steve will mention a couple of resources that were helpful to him in learning about autism. One of them is the works of a writer that he follows who is autistic, uh, providing some firsthand perspective. So, Steve sent me an article by this writer, and I've linked that in the show notes. His name is Dylan Matthews, if you are interested in checking out his work. And Steve also mentioned an earlier episode of this podcast where we discussed being diagnosed with autism as an adult with our amazing guest, Mina. So, if you're interested in checking that out, that is Season 1, Episode 45. Before we get into our conversation with Steve and Melissa today, I have to thank our community of listeners supporting this show on Patreon. If you are enjoying this podcast and would like to help support it financially with a monthly contribution, please check out our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash major pain podcast. Subscriptions start at $2 per month. And each subscription tier comes with different recognition, special gifts, and bonus content. So, extra special thank you to our Patreon producers who are supporting this show with a generous contribution of $25 per month. Steve Cavanaugh, Chris Fowler, Ensign Q, Trish O'Brien, and Hipster Leia. Another great way to support this show is by signing up to participate in research studies and surveys with Rare Patient Voice, where you can be paid for your time. I actually just spoke with someone who went through this process and has received several checks for participating in research studies and surveys, and I'm very excited to hear that it was a really great experience. So this is a great way to support the chronic illness community and the disability community by participating in scientific research aimed at finding better therapies that can better the lives of people with your disease. So I highly recommend checking it out, rarepatientvoice.com slash majorpainpodcast. When you sign up through that link, you will also be supporting this show. Don't forget to leave us a positive rating and review on the podcast platform that you listen to this show on, and if you have a moment to head over to Apple Podcasts, no matter what podcast platform you listen to, um, if you have a moment to head to Apple Podcasts and leave us a positive rating and review, it is very, very appreciated. You can interact with this show on social media at Major Pain Podcast on both Instagram and TikTok. You can send me an email, MajorPainPodcast at gmail.com if you have questions for myself or our guests. And you can leave a comment on every episode of the podcast at our website, MajorPainPodcast.com. I wanted to share a quick story with you before we get into our discussion this week. So, we often talk about medical gaslighting and doctors not listening and people going undiagnosed for years and years or misdiagnosed because doctors were not willing to pay attention. But, you know, I feel like sometimes we forget to highlight the wonderful things that doctors can do for us, and I had just an absolute, fantastic, incredible appointment this week that I was not expecting, so I just want to tell you the story real quick. So, in my journey, my search to try to find an answer for my mystery illness, to find a diagnosis, I've been seeing this doctor who is interested in people like me and has been running a ton of tests. And one of the tests that she ran was a urine test looking for heavy metals, and it turned up a high level of arsenic. So, we were confused by this. We ran another urine test looking for arsenic, and it was once again high. So, she set up an appointment for me with occupational medicine, which is where you would go if you got sick at work because of your occupation. Uh, let's say you were you know, working at a a smelter or something like that, or in a mine, uh, and were exposed to heavy metals, that's where they'd send you. And she thought maybe this would be the place to go to figure out what was going on with my arsenic levels. When I called to schedule this appointment, they had already left a message for me saying, hey, this is the occupational medicine team, we've taken a look at this, and your arsenic levels are organic arsenic and not inorganic arsenic, which means that it's not coming from some sort of you know, heavy metal toxicity situation, it's likely just natural arsenic in the food that you're eating or in the water that you're drinking, and it's actually within the safe limit, so it's not something that we think could be causing your mysterious illness but we're still willing to see you and talk to you about it. So I got that message from them and I decided to still keep the appointment and I was, you know, expecting them to just say that to me at the beginning of the appointment and tell me there was nothing they could do for me because that's, you know, generally what I experience is first time appointments with doctors. They often tell me, hey, you know, this isn't the cause of your illness, whatever specialty it is that I'm going to see. They say, this isn't the cause of your illness and there's nothing we can do for you. Go see someone else. And I've just been cycling through that for years. So, that's what I was expecting with occupational medicine. So, I signed on to telehealth to have this appointment. At the beginning of the appointment, we talked about the arsenic levels and they kind of put my mind at that that is not something to be worried about. But then they said, hey, we have a few more questions for you. And they started asking me questions and we talked for an hour and a half. They talked through my entire medical history, so many questions that I never expected. And even though the arsenic level was not really something they were concerned about, they applied their expertise to my entire life, my entire medical history. We talked about my mold exposures. We talked about the length and the time of my different flare ups. We talked about every job I've ever worked at and whether or not there were any hazardous materials at those jobs. We talked about my genetic testing, and it was just mind-blowingly good mind-blowingly good i couldn't believe it and this was a team i was talking to two different doctors with two different um, areas of expertise in occupational medicine and they were both just so patient listened to everything i had to say asked so many questions And at the end, they offered their thoughts saying, you know, I know you've had a ton of testing done and, you know, we haven't looked at every single test you've ever had, but maybe there's some sort of issue like this mast cell activation disorder that we're now looking into. They said that that sounded like a reasonable lead to follow. Um, They also said they didn't think that we had sufficiently ruled out autoimmune disorders or an an immunodeficiency of some kind. And they put a letter together to send to my primary care provider and my uh, new doctor that I've been seeing, who's sort of my diagnostician. And it was just more than I could have ever asked for. I was almost in tears by the end of the the conversation because I'm just so used to being brushed off. Um, But it's just another reminder that there are great doctors out there. There are people willing to listen. And if you meet with someone who isn't willing to listen to you, try again. Cut the cord with that doctor. Make an appointment with someone else. Keep trying new things until you find someone who is willing to listen to you and engage with you on a human level about what's happening in your body. And I'm just still, you know, I'm still buzzing from that experience. And I'm really hopeful that it will be a helpful piece of finding a diagnosis for me, hopefully in the near future. Knock on wood. The last thing I wanted to share before jumping into our conversation today, I talked about how this podcast came about because I was doing audio mastering work for Steve, and that is something that I do. I am a freelance audio mastering engineer, and I also do mixing and recording and all sorts of audio production. So if you are in need of audio production, uh, if you have an album that is recorded and you're looking for a mastering engineer, hit me up. I would love to work with you. And you can contact me through our email address, majorpainpodcast at gmail.com. I'll remind you, as always, that my guests and I are not medical professionals, so please do not take any medical action based off what you hear on this podcast without first consulting your doctor. All right. Well, let's jump into our fantastic conversation with Melissa and Steve. And to jump into our episode today, we're actually going to listen to the title track from the Affirmations Collective new EP, My Home is Happy.
1: I am here. My home is happy and I am safe I am loved, I am light I am well rested from the night I am bright, I am sunshine I am sure today we'll have a fun time I am caring, I am calm I am joyful words to a song I am patient when I try I'm a young bird excited to learn how to fly. I am beautiful and I am smart. I am someone with a gentle heart. I am ready for the day to learn, to love, and to play. I am here and I am awake. My home is happy and I am safe.
0: Melissa and Steve, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah, this is going to be a really unique episode today, a little different than what we normally do, but I'm really excited about it. I think it's going to be uh, super interesting to listen to. I really appreciate you both being willing to come on the show and share. Thanks for having us on. Yeah. So we just listened to uh, one of your morning affirmation tracks. So why don't we start there? Tell us about this project. Tell us about what we just heard. We just listened to Home is Happy.
2: So I kind of came up with the idea. I'm a big believer in affirmations. I think I do it myself once in a while, and I like the positive things that come along with it. So, and I thought our kids could really take to it. It was a real, it really sucks because I started looking for stuff for them and all of it just was not very good, (laughs) or at least I didn't want to listen to it. So um you know, I didn't want to do like Baby Shark where it got stuck in your head for a million and a <laughs> half years. Yeah. So, but I wanted it to be something that adults also wanted to listen to or would be okay to listen to for their kids. And yeah. that's where Steve comes in.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And just zooming out a little bit, you know, our son is autistic and we found that one of the characteristics mm-hmm. of his autism was a little bit of a black and white view of good behavior and bad behavior and so helping to coach him and sometimes discipline when there would be behavior that's like not the way we do things he would internalize as i am i'm am the worst and we thought oh no 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 no, we're that's that's not going to fly like we uh you know melissa started looking for some content that could help kind of reinforce messages of you know it's healthy and normal to make mistakes mm-hmm. understanding the nuance of like Need to love yourself, um, but also take to heart when you um when you make some mistakes and use that to improve. What she found was a lot of very meditative, very droning and poorly produced content that's out there. And, you know, I, I for many years have, as my my hobby and passion been a hip hop producer, mm-hmm. thought, you know, there's maybe a little bit of groove and energy that could be brought to to the table. And Melissa curated a a playlist of very kind of uh neo soul Motown inspired kind of get the F up out of your seats yeah. and get your ass to church exactly. <laughs> type of music. And she felt, I think correctly would um, be the right tone for kids and adults alike.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And Steve, you and I have known each other for what, 15 something years, maybe a little more. Yeah. And we've collaborated a ton on music over the years and, uh, You know, I do a lot of mastering, audio mastering for you. And you brought this project to me. And I was like, these are great tracks, you know, like the, I've never heard anything like it before. And I, when I work on mastering something, I actually take it into the car and listen to it there. And I was doing so with Andy in the car and she's like, what is this? I love this. And I want this. (laughs) And we've actually, Mm -hmm. uh, we were having a really stressful day and, you know, on the road, and I'm just like, well, why don't we listen to these morning affirmation tracks? And she's like, yes, please. So we've <laughs> actually used it to relax ourselves. Um awesome. So it definitely has, you know, I don't know. You, you've really hit this sweet spot of something that I I, I love the story of where it came from and, and why it was created. But I feel like it does have, uh, you know, use for really anyone who's looking to just kind of like chill out and recenter.
3: Yeah. And I think that's like... You know one of the benefits of you know affirmations in general it's like say it aloud as a first step to making it true and if it's got a little bit more of a mature sound we thought it might be a little more palatable uh, to folks and you know it, it may not be perfect for everybody who's on the spectrum who really wants to try to internalize these messages of you are loved whether or not you make mistakes that it's all good it's going to be a great day um, cause you know, everybody's different, but we felt it was like pretty, um, pretty widely applicable.
2: Yeah. yeah. And you can even tell with obviously we have two boys and they're completely different. Yeah. So one of them is all like all about it in the morning. He's like, mm-hmm. I love this song. <laughs> I'm like This is my favorite part. And the other one's kind of like, oh, really? Like we're doing this again. <laughs> it's like, okay.
0: <laughs> which which child loves it and which doesn't?
2: The three year old loves it. Hmm. But I think the fact that our soon to be six year old, which is the one that, you know, started this whole thing. Um, I think he just doesn't like hearing his own voice for some reason. Yeah. So but he's just right. like, Oh, I don't like it.
3: <laughs> so yes. Yeah. yeah. So that that's the other complicating. Mm-hmm. Uh, factor is that you know most people uh unless you're one of those um uh uh narcissistic theater kids guilty
0: yeah um, looking did, at me over don't, here don't like hearing your own voice yeah. <laughs> you I don't like hearing your voice because hundreds of hours of my own voice to listen to so yeah <laughs> you sound
3: different recorded than what you hear from your ears because of the resonance in your skull. And, you know, that's a whole other episode on the anatomy of the of the (laughs) year. Anyways, um, but you know, the the affirmations in the song form are derived from what we actually do live with him. Not every morning, but many mornings, especially when he seems to be stuck in a place that we feel like he's not going to be able to find joy today. And so we're like, what do we do about that? Mm And so, again, you know, credit to Melissa who thought, hey, let's do some affirmations with him. And, you know, we came up with, you know, collaboratively, what are the messages we want to drive home? Um, and it's it's fairly simple. Like I said, sometimes it's just aesthetically pleasing imagery. Sometimes it's messages of acceptance uh, in success and failure. Um, and overall, it's like, love thyself and um, and those around you love you as well. And, um, sometimes he does struggle through it because partly he's like a small child who doesn't want to focus on something that's a non-preferred task. You know, it's not a, a visually engaging bout of, uh, Mario. (laughs) Um, It's a, it's work, you know, but we think it's valuable work.
0: Well, speaking of, let's listen to another track and I have a lot of questions for the both of you, but before we get to that, let's take a listen to how about good for me?
1: There is joy, there is play, there is love to guide my way. There's mistakes I'll make, but hey, I just stop and say, I'm smart, I'm smart, I belong, I belong. I got love for the world to see, and it's gonna be good for me. Say, I am bright, I'm bright, I will grow, I will grow. I got love for the world to see and it's gonna be good for me. There's fun, there's games, there's friends that know my name. There's times I'll shed a tear, but I just face my fears. Say, I am smart. I'm smart. I belong. I belong. I got love for the world to see, and it's gonna be good for me. Say, I am bright. I am bright. I will grow. I will grow. I got love for the world to see, and it's going to be good for me.
0: So you mentioned that your almost six-year-old son, Sebastian, uh, is autistic, and that that's where this whole project was born. Uh, So I'd love to hear a bit about your, your history, you know, bringing up an autistic child. And I know before we do, you know, talking about doing this episode, there were a few reservations. Uh, that were discussed about doing this at all, which I'm curious to hear about as well. So what what are your reservations in talking about this publicly? And then let's get into this story. Yeah, fr- first of all, Sebastian being a child isn't yet of the age to have
3: the awareness of how much uh, he wants autism to be part of his identity. And that needs to be his call. And in so many ways, this is his story to tell. But we found that, you know, there's still a lot for this community to benefit from our story. We approach this from a loving way. And we're also in a in the midst of a positive trend broadly in our society of greater acceptance of what's now called neurodiversity. It used to be many different, not so nice names for ways in which people are different. But as far as how it all began, um, I'll leave that to Melissa who just had such great intuition for what was unique about him early on?
2: Well, I mean, I think being a mom and spending so much time with your child, you get to realize that's a little different than the rest of the kids his own age. Or, And I think having a psychology background also kind of helped me. So then when I started bringing it up, what sucks is you get a lot of pushback from like grandparents or, you know aunts and uncles or family members are like, oh, no, he's just young, he's young, like he's he's going to grow into it, or he's going to start speaking soon, or whatever, it's like they, they want to avoid it at all costs, mm. like the stigma. And it's just, which makes it a little bit harder, but you just kind of have to push forward and push the doctors to, you know, send you to the right people. So that can be a little challenging, but definitely worthwhile, because the earlier you start, the more, you know, you can see them grow as a person into how, you know, they should be or how they want to be. Cause you also want to kind of give them that framework of being themselves, but then incorporating whatever it is that they want to bring to the table and like feel whatever is normal for them. Yeah. If that makes any sense.
0: How, how old was Sebastian when you started to notice things being a little different than you expected?
2: He was probably around one and a half to two.
0: Hmm. And what yeah. were what were the specifics of things that you noticed?
2: Um, he didn't like being in big groups. He would scream randomly. Um, he was delayed in language. Um, I'm trying to think, those were like the major ones. He wasn't interested in playing with anybody his own age or anyone in particular, for that matter. Um, so it was a lot of little tiny things that would come up
0: when was he diagnosed as being autistic
2: probably like two two and a half
3: yeah so there was a whole process Mm -hmm. that was pretty arduous to go through to obtain the formal diagnosis and I was pretty surprised that they could diagnose that early on Mm -hmm. with as much of accuracy as they ultimately uh, had and I had my doubts for a while because you know I don't know what i'm doing this is my first kid uh i don't know what is uh typical for certain milestones of speech and so forth um also some of the some of the unique characteristics that melissa noted weren't always a hundred percent consistent but they were there enough for the more perceptive among us mm-hmm. to pick up on so there's always that doubt um but you know, to the credit of the healthcare providers, they're able to adequately diagnose him and the bureaucracy and the steps of the specialists and all of that. It's Byzantine, man. It is complicated, mm. but pre-COVID, there were appropriate resources in place to guide us. And so, you know, I listen to this podcast and I hear the stories of so many who just have a nightmare of navigating the mm-hmm. medical community's red tape. And um, again, pre-COVID, we had um, a county-level coordinator mm-hmm. that was able to help shepherd us through it and made life way easier. I mean, it was still really complicated, yeah. even with their guidance. And
2: it's overwhelming. It's just so much is being thrown at you.
3: Yeah. So, so we we got resources early on when he was like yeah. two and a half in ways that helped um, some of his deficits mm-hmm in a way that's going uh, is already making him I think happier and better to be himself, uh, better able to be himself rather.
0: Yeah. For you both personally, did you have any experience with um with autism as, you know, any relatives with autism or is, was this something that was brand new to both of you?
2: This was totally new to me.
0: It's so new to me that even one of your past
3: guests who's on the spectrum, mm-hmm revealed a lot. I didn't know what stemming was mm. until I listened to that episode. And then I've noticed some gestures and movements of my son that I was like, oh, that's what that is. Wow. And so it's brand new to me. Mm-hmm. And I think back to what Melissa was saying about kind of friends and family who some of them are just trying to trying to be upbeat and uh, positive thinking or, or saying, no, he's he's typical he's not autistic they also have in their mind the most um the most intense cases where people are Mm nonverbal they struggle with day-to-day functions and so forth and that tends to be the the form of autism that many people are familiar with if at all Mm -hmm. and that's all that I had really come across Mm. but so there's huge gaps in our knowledge
0: yeah we did a great episode a while back with uh, Mina, who was diagnosed with autism as an adult, and getting to hear from her own words what autism was, was so interesting. You know, this yeah. idea that it's like your brain running on a different operating system where you just sort of process yes. and react th- to things differently than the quote unquote, you know, typical person. And it's frustrating to have to use this language around it because, you know, in an I- ideal society, we would be able to understand that there are, you know, multiple operating systems. Like we're not all on windows. Some of us are on, on uh what's Apple called? What do they use? I don't even know. OS. <laughs> sure. OS. And some of us are on Linux, you know, and, yeah. and if you are on Linux and there's fewer of you, it is seen as different. And in a lot of cases, there is a stigma around that yeah. when, when there shouldn't be, when, you know, Different things work for different people. The, the longer I do this podcast, the more I learn about the different ways in which the human body can work. It's, you know, shock- oh, yes. shocking that we ever agree about anything. And yeah. oth- oftentimes, we shouldn't agree about things. We should, you know, all have our own opinions and our own ways of being and have that be accepted and okay. Um, but in this case, you know, when you have a child who is autistic and there is some social stigma around that sounds like you are experiencing some stigma from your family what's the feeling as parents when you you know start to wrap your brain around the fact that your child uh is neurodivergent
2: well i think the way i went is i wanted to know as much as possible about autism as i could to like kind of see what i should be doing or shouldn't be doing in a sense but that's so hard to grasp because The umbrella of autism is just so large. Mm. So that's what makes it, you know, extremely like hard to kind of wrap your head around. So I do think like it needs to be more normalized and not necessarily called as autistic or whatever it may be. It's just everybody's different.
0: Yeah, totally. It's like saying, hey, what what do Windows users eat for breakfast?
2: Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Like same thing you do. What do you like to eat? Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's different. It depends on the person. It sounds like, you know, you have to kind of maybe learn some of the basics, but then have your child teach you in a lot of ways what they need.
2: Exactly.
3: And that's one of the key challenges. Sometimes it's very clear what is what they call maladaptive behavior um, and what's, you know, well-adaptive behavior. And there's a big gray area. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know getting mad and hitting little brother. I'm not sure that's unique to kids on the spectrum, but you know, that's like, okay, maladaptive behavior. Um, What about, you know, struggling to uh, pay attention in certain contexts or sit still or uh, wait in line or what have you? That's a little bit more of a gray area. Hmm. And I think um, we're coming along as a society in kind of figuring out what the right balance is in trying to standardize for for greater order and efficiency but also give kids the space to be themselves and account for differences among us Mm -hmm. and that's where like that gray area is kind of hard to be like okay is this a behavior that we need to give him the tools to um to to correct for or is this just something that's unique to him and the world can just yeah can just
2: adjust accept yeah
3: (laughs) you you adjust Except, you know,
0: yeah, that's so people how they are. That's mm-hmm. so tough because, like, we all have to exist within the society. We all have to have the tools to, you know, function as far as, you know, having interpersonal relationships and being able to, uh, you know, have the patience to, you know, like go to school and get a job and do the things that we all have to do. But there's also this huge issue in society of, you know, societal norms being these boxes that people are put into that is so restrictive and um, like really awful and dangerous uh, many times where there's this idea, like if you don't fit in this box, if you aren't, you know, just like me, then you don't belong. Like that is absolutely toxic and something that I feel like we need to fight against. So Mm -hmm. finding that sweet spot of where, where does my child exist and how can I support him to, to find that Sweet spot. That sounds like a really intense challenge. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And and wherever wherever he lands with
3: that, um, we also want to give him the tools to have the a solid foundation and sense of self because there will be changes in the world that were down to his benefit in ways that are make make for more accepting spaces. And there'll also be times that he encounters those stigmas and those boxes and all that rotten shit. That makes him feel like he's got not good enough and this is what we have to say about that those Hmm. are these affirmations Hmm. this is giving him those tools for a foundation that says you're worthy that says you're loved you're awesome you're special and you're going to f up it's just going to happen and here's how we get back up after that happens
0: wow yeah well let's use that moment to jump into the third affirmation this one is called go with the flow
1: Good morning. Good morning. Now, let's stand up straight and tall, but relaxed. Like a little string is pulling your head up to the sky, feet flat on the floor, planted like strong roots of a tall tree. Keep your hands at your sides, resting and calm. Look in the mirror. Do you love what you see? Mm hmm. Do you see someone that is strong and healthy? Mm hmm. Do you see someone that is calm and at peace? Sure. Do you see someone that is loved just the way you are? Yes I do. Are you going to have a good day? I think so. Are you going to have the best day? Yes. As your feet stay planted like a strong tall tree, let the rest of your body gently sway like branches in the soft breeze. Move with it, breathe with it. Go with the flow Say I'm smart I'm smart I'm a good person I'm a good person I'm happy I'm happy I'm flexible I'm flexible I stop, breathe, and tell myself It's okay I can go with the flow Oh Do you see someone that is strong and healthy? Mm Mm-hmm Do you see someone that is calm and at peace? Mm Mm-hmm Do you see someone that is loved just the way you are? Uh huh, that's very nice. Are you going to have a good day? I think so. Are you going to have the best day? Yes. Okay. Go with the flow. Go with the flow. Go with the flow.
0: So do you mind sharing with me some of the specifics about what you've learned about autism in regards to your child and th- things that you've implemented that have been helpful? Maybe some specifics for other parents of an autistic child who might be um, searching for some uh, ways to move forward positively?
3: So key takeaways that we've like learned. Structure. Structure.
2: Structure yeah. has been huge for us. Like, him knowing what is coming up next and kind of having that control of, like, what's happening around him has been really big.
3: Yeah, priming and structure Mm -hmm. and related to that, organized activities, I think has been really helpful, whether it's t-ball or, you know, school. Yeah. School has been huge.
2: Mm -hmm. But priming, I mean, I doubt a lot of parents know what even priming is, but basically it's just the simpleness of, like... hey, heads up, in 10 minutes, we're going to put our shoes on because we're going to the store. Mm. And then doing it again five minutes later, kind of doing that countdown of, like, they know what's happening, they know what they are expected to do, and, you know, when they're going to do it.
0: Yeah, yeah, so interesting. That's not not a word that I was even familiar with in that context. Yeah. 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 And honestly, that's helpful for any parents. Because, yeah, any parent. Yeah. yeah, anyways.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, so when when Sebastian was diagnosed, was there any sense of relief? You know, you've been noticing something about your child and you want to understand it. And I know from someone who's still undiagnosed, you know, not having a diagnosis can be stressful. And I hope to someday have one. And I expect that I would feel relief, but I can't be sure. Um, But is that something that, that you felt?
2: I mean, I think for me, it was a weird mix of emotions because in the back of your head you're kind of holding on to that glimmer of hope of like it'll all like dissolve or like fix mm. itself mm. <laughs> like and then finally when you get the diagnosis you're kind of like it's kind of like this little tiny morning period mm. because you're like I want them to be okay and I don't know how that's gonna like you know influence or like affect their life yeah, like if it's going to be a good thing or a bad thing, or I don't know. So you always kind of have it in the back of your head of you want to protect your child, and that also includes them being happy all the time, which is dumb and <laughs> surreal. <laughs> you kind of always want to protect them. So
3: no, I, I totally would agree with that, and would just kind of add to it by saying, you know, we we think back to our own childhoods at times where we felt like we had the hardest lives ever, you know, in, in our uh, adolescent mind or whatever stage we were in. And we think of anything that could present any challenge to our kid. Mm. And that translates to worry. What was tempered for me is actually hearing um, the firsthand account of a, of a, a writer that I, that, whose work that I follow, who's like, I'm autistic. And I'm able to live a happy, well adjusted life because I learned some tools to cope with some of the um, particularities of my neurodivergence uh, early in life. And so that stuck with me. Mm. And if, if it's interesting to the, to the audience, we can put in the, in the notes who that, who that writer is and what he does. But, um, I was like, okay, we're having an early intervention with people who, fingers crossed, knock on wood, know what they're doing and can provide us some guidance to give him some tools to cope with whatever challenges he may face as somebody on the spectrum.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's so interesting. I mean, every parent just wants the best for their child. And yeah, to have anything, any barriers to that person having the easiest, happiest life possible must be so difficult. You know, I've I've never had kids. I don't I I could never understand what that would be like to have that feeling. But if I could add one more thing, it's going back to that writer I referenced,
3: you know, him talking publicly about what makes him different and how he is able to go on to live a happy, well-adjusted life is part of the reason why I think we wanted to talk about our son, even though he's too young to really um, have a say of whether or not he wants to talk about this very personal issue for him. Yeah. Um, because I think that there's, you know, um, some hope and benefit to be had among people out there.
0: Absolutely. And when this idea for this episode first came up, you said something to me that really stuck with me, which is that your son doesn't know that he's autistic. Right. Yeah. I mean, he probably doesn't have a concept of what that is yet. No, no. it doesn't. And there's concern that
3: he could take it, uh, in a stigmatized way, mm. um, And so that's why we're just focusing on the basics: um, teaching empathy, teaching self love, and and towards others, and um, to get back up after you make a mistake and be okay with it.
0: Yeah, which are things that we all have to learn. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So once once Sebastian was diagnosed, what were the what were the you mentioned? There's some really good resources in San Diego. What what was there for you to help you through this process, and what was the transition like? to, you know, having this new understanding of your child? So the San
3: Diego Regional Center is an entity that acts as a liaison between a few different groups, the, the insurance provider, the medical provider, and the company, the private companies that um, actually provide the services such as occupational therapy, speech therapy, mm-hmm. and I want to qualify this before we get into it, but ABA, that's Applied Behavioral. um, uh, The acronym escapes me at the moment, but I I just wanted to note that ABA from many years ago was at least in our case, a very different thing. Um, There's a lot we've learned about psychology and neurodiversity um, since the old days when ABA was first developed, and I understand that Um, in its early stages was a pretty problematic um, form of therapy. Um, So I don't don't know much specifics about that, but folks in our generation who are on the spectrum who went through ABA as a kid do not have happy memories of Mm. it. And I want to acknowledge that. Um, While it bears the same name today, at least in our case, bears no resemblance to what I've heard described, um, such as, you know, um, kind of like little, little punishments for, uh, what are considered maladaptive behavior. Some Somebody described it as a uh, conversion therapy for, mm. for autistic kids. Mm. Um, anyways, that's a little bit of a, um, a detour, but I do want to acknowledge that because I've come across folks on the spectrum who have strong feelings about mm-hmm. that. And it's not at all what we've experienced.
2: But I think we also, like being a parent, you have to be there 100% of the time. Like it's not one of these things of like, Oh, the doctor says I should be doing this, like, and just follow blindly. Like, mm-hmm. you have to be there. You have, if you don't feel right about a certain therapist, then you need to be the person to raise your voice because this kid can't. Right. So, you have to be extremely involved.
3: And we've yeah. been in that position, mm-hmm. um you know, enough. I would say a, yeah. it's been fortunately rare, but mm-hmm. it happens
0: for sure. Yeah. So, w- once Sebastian starts these, services what was that transition period like first of all they they so they have a therapist come to your house Mm -hmm. um which
3: is you know an amazing service but what they do is they start off with um such an overload of amount of therapy that that's one of the areas where you need to push Mm -hmm. back they're like okay he should have 20 hours a week of therapy Mind, mind you, he's already started preschool.
2: Yeah, so he was already in preschool, going about four to five hours a day, and then they're saying twenty hours of therapy.
3: Yeah, do the so, math. Yeah,
2: it was very busy, busy. Like he was going full time job. Like yeah,
0: yeah, <laughs> I was that's like forty hey, hours. Stupid. I'm like this is <laughs>
2: insane. So we yeah. had to push back and be like, this is too much. Yeah. So.
3: Yeah. So we scaled it down Mm -hmm. and it becomes a negotiation with Mm -hmm. the insurance of what's the minimum that we can have that they'll still cover it and Mm -hmm. carry him without dropping him from Mm -hmm. services altogether. And that's where I think that they've got some real room for improvement and looking at what the capacity for a two or three or even four or five-year-old has to put in hours
0: of, you know, not arduous therapy, but therapy nonetheless. Mm -hmm. What was your impression of what it was like for Sebastian when all of this started.
2: I mean, he was two. So for him, it was just like having people over to like play with him.
0: Yeah.
3: And mind you, at that stage, he had some real communication deficits. Mm-hmm. So that was part of our struggle. And and Melissa, I think being more the uh the one with the better intuition and perceptiveness kind of kind of let guided us here and kind of um being better attuned to um kind of what his needs and responses were, but it was still a bit of a guessing game. Mm-hmm. Um Nonetheless, we saw that it was just an o- overload. It was just, just too much, so mm. we had to scale it back.
0: Yeah, and then fast forward to now. So, I mean you you caught uh, you caught his neurodivergence so early, and yeah. he's been in services since he was, you know. Pro- I mean, I don't have any memories until I was four years old. So, you know, you've got you've got him working uh, with a therapist and and doing all of this since he's two. Uh, fast forwarding to now what is the impact of all of this uh you know to the best of your guess what do you think that this has provided for Sebastian
3: let me just tell a little anecdote um and this is something that's like not unique to the services but we're reinforced by them we were uh, at an amusement park and we were on a ride that was a little bit scary and this is uh when he still he just turned five um shortly before this
2: time
3: yeah and He places his hands on his lap and takes a deep breath. And I found for that to be the go-to coping mechanism for Mm. a five-year-old was so awesome. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, yeah, (laughs) sometimes all you just got to do is calm yourself. Mm. Uh, Another example, and this is where it gets more collaborative, is the notion of priming. Um, Kids on the spectrum and just young kids writ large struggle with transitions. And so giving somebody a heads up that something is about to change is called priming. For example, if it's time to head out the door to go to school in 10 minutes, then we give them a 10 minute heads up. Hey, 10 minutes, we got to turn the TV off and go out to school. Uh, And then when it's like one minute, maybe one more. And if you think about um if they're engaged in what they call a preferred task if they're reading a book they really like or doing something even more engrossing for the brain video games or that ultra high definition immersive uh you know 4k tv <laughs> um you know that those are some serious dopamine hits that mm-hmm. that's going on and to pull the rug out from under that with no warning is a struggle for any child and and more so for a, for a child on the spectrum and so priming has been a great go to tool that I think, um, you know, uh, it's been really helpful, but, but also that's just one of the other ways that the world could adapt to neurodivergent people. Just, you know, little things like heads up whenever there are, are changes. And we see that in like disclosures of, um, uh, films, you know, photosensitive people may have issues with this, uh, with this, uh, with this episode or what have you. Um, so I would say priming. And kind of breathing techniques are just yeah. too easy to understand examples. Mm-hmm.
2: Or just giving them options as simple as that of like, oh, your TV time's done. Do you want to turn it off or should I? Mm. Like, They're like, cool, I'll do it. Awesome. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah interesting. Yeah. So uh, do you feel like you've developed an understanding of of the way Sebastian's brain works? You know, I know if we're on different operating systems, it's impossible to know, you know, in in depth how someone else's brain works but do you start to get a sense for it over time
2: i think so but it's ever changing Mm. just like everyone
3: yeah because it's i wish i could say say i've done anything more than scratch the surface Mm. but it's a it's a constant challenge to really commit yourself to Mm -hmm. developing that understanding um because it's different and also like People who are just generally more perceptive and empathetic are just gonna have an easier time with it with their kids, irrespective of of uh them being neurodiverse or not. So that's just one of my struggles and trying to be more perceptive and empathetic, but I scratch the surface.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, especially as you know, he is only six and he is still developing all of this is changing constantly. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Big yeah. time
0: how has he done in school what was that like for him to to start school yeah so so we've had great experiences with school
3: um i'm 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 gonna squeeze in this plug double teacher pay okay um (laughs) sorry now that i have this platform i'm gonna use it no um so yeah we've had a very positive experience and our public school um acknowledging the inequities that are out there is very is excellent and so he was on an IEP for folks who aren't in the know. That's an individualized education program. Mm. And uh, he graduated from it last mm. year. They found that he was like totally good to go for a general general population, as they call it. So there's no special ed involved. Um, one thing that we didn't note in the uh, in response to your last question of what are some of the takeaways? Structure has been big. Mm-hmm. Structure has been so helpful, whether it's organized sports. He did T-ball and thrived but, or school. And, um, you know, he's really lucked out with the past two teachers he's had. He was in TK, that's transitional kindergarten for folks who missed the birthday cutoff for kindergarten. And now in kindergarten this year, just wonderful, wonderfully experienced, sensitive, smart teachers um,
0: who are just doing right by him. Mm-hmm. So it's it's been a, a great success story there. Just for fun, tell me some things that are awesome about your son, things that you love.
2: He's incredibly brilliant to the, like, at fault sometimes (laughs) where it's like, oh, my God, I feel like I gave birth to a lawyer. (laughs) Yeah. Even when he was three, he would, like, negotiate with you. Like, you'd be like, okay, like, eat this. He's like, well, if I eat that, will you give me this and this? And Mm. it's like, oh, my gosh, kid, like, stop it.
3: Would three and a half carrots give me dessert? Yeah.
2: It was very, very... (laughs) I
3: I would say his fascination with stories and different worlds. Mm -hmm. He is, um, I would say, infatuated with video games Mm -hmm. because of the stories and the characters and the worlds that it can transport you to. And that tells me that he's got such a fertile imagination Mm -hmm. that has such great potential someday that we got to figure out how to cultivate. Mm. What are his favorite video games?
0: Mario. Mario and Pac-Man. Yeah, right on. <laughs> a kid of discerning taste. The kid's all right. <laughs> yeah. Which Mario games is he playing?
3: So he's not playing Mario because we don't have a Nintendo gaming system. Mm. But um, he uh, has like the Mario Legos where it's uh, kind of um, the, the Mario characters got a scanner under it. And there's a barcode on the top of the heads of all the bad guys. Hmm. And so you can actually set up a a, a course and, you know, play it. Wow. And it's got the timers and everything to make sure you beat the level in time. And so uh, knowing when to introduce a gaming system, such as a Switch, for example, mm-hmm. is also um, a question that we're struggling with a little bit. Yeah. I, for example, remember having a Sega Genesis when I was 12. And when my mom imposed any time limits on me, I had some uh, real flashes of, of anger. And because it's like I said, it's like you get really engrossed in it. And when you have that transition to something that's a non-preferred task, go do your homework, eat your vegetables or whatever it may be, um, there can be struggles. And so we want to make sure that we're um, kind of navigating that carefully. So um on, on Apple Arcade, he plays Pac-Man uh, for a limited amount of time on the weekends. And mm. We're figuring out that balance as we go.
0: Yeah, totally. I mean, we're, it's a whole new world, you know, like, from when we grew up, screen time was already an issue. Like, I remember getting a su- Super Nintendo was my first gaming system, besides, like, a few computer games. And, yeah. you know, ripping me away from Super Mario World was a real challenge. So That's a hate crime right there. Like, <laughs> you know, like, how could you do this to me? Yeah, yeah, totally. i about to get to the boss. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and parents these days are meeting some really unique questions about, you know, uh, what is appropriate for screen time. There's screens everywhere now, you know, like Mm -hmm. I'm on screens all day long, just like, you know, we're we're talking on Zoom right now and like editing the podcast is on the computer and all the video editing I do is on a computer. And I'm just like, I'm looking for time off of a screen. I'm trying to find ways to get off the screen because I'm literally looking at a screen, you know, huge portion of the day. And that's not what it was like when, when we were kids, you know?
3: So one of the things that I I don't yet have a good read on is how his status of being neurodiverse can affect his level of self-awareness. He's just young. And so will he at a certain age be like, yo, man, I'm seeing that my like weekly report says I've been on my phone for seven hours a day. Like that's. I should do something about that because there's many kids who are neurotypical for whom that that's all they've ever known. And you know how that affects your brain chemistry uh, I think is could could be troublesome. Um, And I think that there's some emerging studies on that and throw in being autistic into the mix. How how does that factor in? That's an unknown for us. Mm -hmm. So I do worry about it. And so, what, where we're trying to approach it is, firstly, a foundation of having a good balance of things, moderation of things. And that's just a, a generally good lesson, we think, for anybody. And so, how that factors into, you know, him being wired a little differently remains to be seen, but something we're watching.
0: Yeah. And I, I for me, the danger with screens is, like, it is often easier to sit and do nothing and stare at a screen than it is to get outside and, you know go stroll through the park, or, you know, for me, like, go for a roll outside in the wheelchair or something. And, Mm -hmm. like, making sure that I have that outdoor time uh, built into my day was something I had to adjust back into my life, you know? Mm -hmm. And I, without even realizing that it had been lost. And it made such a huge difference for my overall well-being. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, you know, I remember being a kid and, like, going and playing outside and all that stuff. And I can just imagine how easy it would be to not do that these days and to just be on a screen so like you know finding the self-regulation for me to get outside to to you know make special um trips plans to go out and be in nature it's like all these uh all these things that are so much harder than just like well i could go be in nature in stardew valley you know (laughs) without ever leaving my bed um so just yeah it's it's and it's it's made a huge positive impact in my life to put more attention into that area.
3: Yeah, which which you brought up was I think a better way of putting it. Said self-regulation. I said self regulation. I said self awareness, but I think that really is it. It's self regulation. Uh, awareness is the first step. That you know, there's there's a better balance to be had, but then it's actually doing it. I'm a, I'm a bleeping adult, and I have a hard time, you know, making myself do. What I should be doing, whether it's going to bed on time yeah. or limiting working screen out, time, working like, out, what have you. Yeah. yeah. So, self regulation mm-hmm. is, uh, we believe, one of the challenges with uh, being on the spectrum. And so, that's one of the things that we're trying to teach. And, you know, the affirmations are just one of the tools.
0: Yeah, absolutely. What is the preferred terminology, neurodiverse or neurodivergent? Or is there a difference? I would love to know.
2: Yeah, I have no clue, to be honest with you.
0: I recently sat through a, a seminar at my
3: work talking about autism in the workplace. And there was this whole debate on whether or not uh, people prefer to be called autistic or an autistic person. Um, and, you know, like saying somebody is high function is like not a preferred descriptive description because there's just like so much gray area there. So the language is hard and we're in a period of time and of cultural shifts and figuring out, a better way to describe the world around us and people are in it. And um, that's a long way of saying, I don't know.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, the learning curve of being a parent of a child with autism is high. Has that felt daunting or overwhelming at times?
2: I definitely think so, especially at the beginning. And then, you know, having... Two of them diagnosed. Um, you're just like, but they're so different. So that's a whole other curveball because you're just like, oh, okay.
0: <laughs> your younger <laughs> child has been diagnosed as being neuro- neurodiverse as well? Yeah. I did not know that. Mm-hmm. Wow. How old is your younger child?
2: He's three.
0: And you say that the experience so far has been really different.
2: Yeah. Like they're totally different, totally yeah. different personalities. Um, I was even surprised a little bit with the second one Mm -hmm. which i'm still a little iffy on um i'd like further testing Mm. but we're still doing like you know the therapies and he seems to be thriving so
3: yeah yeah a little background on that since statistically speaking um if one sibling is autistic Mm -hmm. the other is disproportionately likely to be apparently especially among males um they have a lower threshold for the diagnosis mm. we think that it's possible that he was misdiagnosed mm-hmm. um but at the end of the day uh the early interventions don't hurt it's like it's good stuff it's uh very rich interaction and teaching tools that are great for everyone mm-hmm. to to cope with the struggles of life um you know um so, so anyways, he's receiving services. He may or may not be uh, on the spectrum. Wow. Um, but they they try to shoot first and ask questions mm-hmm. later, knowing that uh, if the diagnosis is correct, the early
0: interventions help. And if it's incorrect, they don't hurt. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Remind me of your younger son's name? Nico. 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 Nico,
2: uh-huh. Nico
0: yeah. live, but Nico for short. Yeah. Wow. How, how do your... How do your boys get along with each other?
2: I think it's a typical. Yeah. (laughs) Like
0: they they hug, they
3: play, Mm -hmm. they brawl, and they bicker. Yeah. (laughs) The four seasons.
2: I do want to go back to something that you mentioned about males getting diagnosed. Like there's I feel like there's this myth where males tend to be autistic more than women, which is a total myth um is it um like i've been talking to a whole bunch of like psychiatrists and doctors and everything and they were saying that odds are that the males get diagnosed way before females because they're i guess you call them symptoms or whatever um it's a lot easier to see with males just mm. because they have the late um like language and development and they tend to like have certain things that are a lot easier to tell so that's why they get diagnosed way sooner mm. when women get diagnosed usually in their teens or or like in that age group of like early like 12 13 or even older because they get different you know they have different cues i guess so that's why, but it's just, it's the same amount, like woman versus male that is autistic, but they're most likely to get diagnosed way later in life.
3: Interesting. Yeah. So here we have a parent of an autistic child who has been really dialed into the issue, who is still operating on, on some really outdated information. Mm. So it's tough out there just as an indicator of how hard it is to adapt to all the new information. Yeah. Uh, there's... Still some bump, some bunk information out there, or biased information as uh, you know, as a not learner.
0: Yeah, it's fascinating. Well, let's jump into our last uh, affirmation. Uh, this one is one of my favorites. It's called "I love Today."
1: With a bounce in my step and a heart full of songs, I love today. Everything's going to be okay. I love today. I am loved even when I make mistakes And I love today I feel warm from the sun, joy from the rain I love today I wake up to the gentle pitter-patter of rain Tapping on my window as if to say, good morning And I am cozy inside It's a perfect day to snuggle Watching the rain puddles dance to each drop I smell fresh pancakes made just for me And coffee for the grown-ups as my house comes to life. I love today. I'm ready for this rainy day, but the soft tapping on my window has stopped. Birds are singing a song that I know. A song of new life and new light. I love the morning sun and I know it loves me. Warm on my face and filling my heart with possibilities of good things coming my way. I love today. With a bounce in my step and a heart full of songs, I love today. Everything's going to be okay. I love today. I am loved even when I make mistakes. And I love today. I feel warm from the sun, joy from the rain. I love today.
0: Tell me a little bit about the production of these tracks. Uh, who is the vocalist? I know that, you know, the we, we've heard a child's voice in these tracks, and that is your son, Sebastian, as you mentioned. But who is the, uh, the lead vocalist?
2: So I have a little sister, and she just started college. So now she's 18. But when we started this, she was, what, 17, 16. 16?
0: Really? 16. Yeah. Wow, that's your little sister. She has yeah. such a calming voice. Yeah. yeah so
3: we um when we first started recording her 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 voice was less mature than it is today and so i was like oh no what are we gonna do we, i loved the fact that she was like almost an adult but still had some childlike qualities to her mm. voice to kind of bridge the gap yeah and um so we worked and worked and worked it's, it's making her sound just a little younger so we so we didn't have to kick her out of the mickey mouse club <laughs> and uh <laughs> i'm kidding and um so what we what we came up with is
0: um, hopefully
3: a, a voice that's more uh, relatable to children.
0: I, I love all four of these tracks. I know that they are now available uh, on Bandcamp. So where can people go if they want to listen to these?
3: Everywhere, yeah. We did uh, release it on all the all the platforms. So folks who are looking to listen wherever is convenient for them, you can find it under the
0: Affirmations Collective. Awesome. And on all the major platforms it sounds like yes sir yeah so my last question for you as parents of uh of one and potentially two autistic children (laughs) um what advice do you have for other parents who are you know dealing with anything similar um looking for looking to hear from someone else who has lived some of this experience what are the most helpful things that you could provide um
3: learn as much as you can as early as you can
2: mm-hmm.
3: fight for your child be an advocate um be assertive yeah,
2: be very involved
3: be very involved and seek support mm-hmm. find community yeah there are people who have walked this path before you who are ready to share their experiences so you don't have to um encounter some of the pitfalls that they did and Just from a social perspective, Mm -hmm. having that support is huge.
2: Yeah. And you'd be surprised. Like, as soon as you mention it, people come out of the woodwork being like, me too. And it's just like, whoa, (laughs)
3: like,
2: (laughs) what happened? Yeah. But yeah, it's kind of like these hush hush things where, you know, because parents are dealing with the same things. They're trying to figure it out. They're trying to like, should I say it? Should I tell people? Like, what are they going to think of my kid? Mm-hmm. And then when you say it out loud, all the, you kind of give permission to let them, mm-hmm. you know, come forward. So, yeah, that's I found that to be very true.
0: That's so powerful. And that's, a I mean, a huge testament to you two being willing to come and talk on a public platform um, and hopefully give that to many people at the same time. That feeling of, oh, I'm not alone in this and it's okay to talk about it. Um you know this idea that things are stigmatized you you bottle them up you don't talk about them and then it it perpetuates the stigma and mm-hmm. I think a huge way to blow these stigmas away is to just be open and you know say hey I'm experiencing this thing and it's okay you know like this is wow. this is my life this is my kid and and I love my kids and and I wouldn't you know have them any other way I think that it's you know you talk about how how smart and how imaginative Sebastian is And that's all part of his brain being autistic. You know, he would be Mm -hmm. a completely different person if it weren't for being autistic. And those things that you love about him would be changed. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's, you know, we all just, we are, we are all who we are. And if we can be accepted and supported for who we are, the world will be a better place.
2: Exactly.
3: sometimes you, you may struggle to have that perspective, which is the right one. I think when you're just exhausted or feeling isolated, or burned out. And that's just one of the other benefits to having that community of support, is helping you realize that, yeah, this is, I I don't want it any other way. This is what makes my child special.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's amazing. That's a beautiful note to wrap things up on. Is there anything else that either of you would like to plug? Social media? I mean, Steve, you got some other projects that I know that you could plug. So, let's hear it. Your hip-hop, tell us where we can find your hip-hop.
3: Well, um, that, that's uh, TBD. That's uh, coming <laughs> down the pike soon. Yeah. Um, we just started an Instagram page for the Affirmations Collective of the same name. And, um, you know, I just want to say that everybody who has become a part of this community is doing something special. And so, although this was kind of a unique angle uh, for this episode, I was just so thrilled to contribute
0: to it, um, aside from being a supporter so yeah um thanks to everybody yeah, who's um so given voice yeah thank you both so much and steve you've been a uh a patreon producer since like i first launched the 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 patreon and that is so incredibly appreciated you i mean you are a huge part of keeping the podcast going and i appreciate that so much
3: yeah thank you
0: yeah and i know from experience because i've mastered a lot of these things that your your old hip-hop projects higher minds Mr. Personality, people should check these out as well. And the new one, Lonesome Bones, is coming soon. Yes. Sh- show notes, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, but I appreciate the the support. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've always loved your your music and it was so surprising to hear these affirmations because they are just a, a almost complete departure from anything you've done before. But like that that core essence of who you are as a as a producer is still in there. But Melissa, I feel like your influence on it, and you know, being like sort of the driving force behind the affirmations themselves, the uh, the the child that you created, the musical child you created together, is really unique and wonderful. And I'm really excited to be able to share that with our audience today. I hope people have enjoyed having that peppered throughout the conversation because we had a cool, unique opportunity to do that today. Um, and you know, try it out on your kids. Try it on on yourself. These things are are amazing tools that you can listen to on all the major platforms, the Affirmations Collective. So thank you both so much for coming on the podcast, sharing your story, sharing a bit about your family. It's been really powerful to get to know a little bit about what you've experienced and how it has fueled your creative production. And, you know, I really admire your willingness to share. So thank you both so much. Thank you, Jesse. Thanks for listening to this episode of major pain. I'm Jesse Mercury, your host and the producer of this podcast artwork by egg salad salad our theme music is the song time machine from my sci-fi synth pop album available at jessemercury.bandcamp.com send your thoughts or questions to our email address majorpainpodcast at gmail.com you can also use that address to find us on paypal tips are greatly appreciated don't forget to leave a positive rating and review on apple podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice Find more information about this show or leave a comment on any episode at our website, majorpainpodcast.com. pain podcast.